My family and I, we've been here uh, for two weeks now. We'll be here until the beginning of September. Uh, we've been missionaries to Honduras for 19 years now. Rosie, uh, Mikey, and Karen, they're my family there sitting here in uh, the front. And uh, well, we'll be back uh, until the beginning of September. We're uh, trying to raise new support and uh, visit some churches that already support us. And we're thankful for the opportunity to be able to present our work and preach the word of God to you guys tonight. And so uh, let's go to John chapter 9. John chapter 9 in our Bibles. John chapter 9. I think one of the biggest blessings that we've seen in our ministry, uh, we've been in the town that we're at for 15 years now, and we've seen a lot of young people come to Christ. A lot of young people uh, give their lives to the Lord. We have two young men uh, who uh, were saved and baptized in our church. And they went to Bible college. Uh, pastor's brother teaches at the college. He's the administrator of the college there where they studied uh, in Honduras. And uh, now they are graduated and they're serving with us full time. And we have other young people, like I mentioned in the video, that they've surrendered their lives to the Lord. And they want to go and study at that same college and uh, just be used of the Lord in any way that they can. And I believe that the fact that Christian and Herling have graduated and come back has helped greatly with the young people to see uh, how the Lord can use a young person. A lot of teenagers think, you know, I have to be an adult. I have to, you know, I have to be 30 or 40 years old, maybe have a family uh, in order to be used of the Lord. They don't think that God can use a young person. And so seeing how the Lord has taken them and is using them, I think, has been a great encouragement to our young people. And I'd like to speak tonight on why, uh, like it says here in John chapter 9, uh, why should we involve ourselves in the work of God? Why should we do the work of God? In John chapter 9, let's read verses 1 through 7. John chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Says in verse 1, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while, while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And said unto him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. So Jesus said here, in verse 4, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. He said there's going to be a time. He said the night cometh when no man can work. So he's telling us that there's also for us a time when we have opportunity to serve God. We have the opportunity to do the works of him that has sent us. Because if you're a born-again Christian, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior, God has sent you to serve Him. He's called you to serve Him. And it's a wonderful privilege to serve God. 
It's, a, it's the, the greatest calling in the world. And I'm not talking about just being a missionary or a pastor. Uh, like I said this morning in the Spanish church, God wants every one of us to be involved serving Him. Uh, in, in every local church... God needs men. The Lord needs men and women, teenagers, young people to get involved and to get out there into the streets and preach the gospel to serve in the local church. And so uh, Jesus is saying here, hey, there's a, a time, there's a time when we have the opportunity to serve. We have the opportunity to work the works, to do the works of him that has sent us. But there's going to be a time when those opportunities are gone. So why should we take advantage as Christians Right now of those opportunities. And the reason why I feel the Lord laid this message in particular on my heart is because there's a lot of us as Christians who we're content with just coming to church. Isn't that true? We're content with just coming and sitting in the pews and uh, we just we, 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 we believe like we've got we've done God a favor just by attending a church service. And thank God for everybody that comes to church. But God wants us to do so much more than that. Uh, God has a purpose for your life. And His purpose is tied to serving Him. So why should we do that? Uh, number one, like you can see here in John chapter 9, there was a man, Jesus, the, the Bible says Jesus passed by in verse 1, and He saw a man which was blind from his birth. There are people with needs all around us. And I'm speaking of spiritual needs. This man who was blind from his birth reminds me of every single one of us who was born spiritually blind. All of us were born spiritually blind. Uh, we might, our, our eyes might be good. I, I use, I have glasses so I can see with my glasses pretty decent. If I take my glasses off, everybody looks pretty blurry. Uh, but thankfully, I'm not blind, uh, you know, physically speaking, but all of us were born blind. And this blind man represents everyone who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. Uh, Jesus Christ came to open the eyes of the spiritually blind people. Why don't you go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, a little bit further ahead there in your Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And let's look at verse 14. What does 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14 say about the condition of the person who doesn't know Christ? It says, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit, the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. The Bible says also, that Satan, the God of this world, has blinded the minds of them which believe not. And so the person who does not know Christ, the natural man, he cannot receive, he cannot understand the things of the Spirit of God. Our minds are blinded without Christ. And that's just part of the, 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 the lost condition, the spiritual condition of the person who does not know Christ. And so Jesus... When he comes along here, he sees a man and he sees his need. It says that he saw a man which was blind from his birth. 
It doesn't say he he saw a tall man or a short man. He saw a rich man or a poor man. It doesn't say he saw a man who was well-dressed or a man who was poorly dressed. It says he saw a man who was blind from his birth. So what was Jesus? What did Jesus see uh, when he when he looked at this? He saw a man with a need. And that's the way you and I ought to see lost people. We ought to see people who need the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what country they're from. It doesn't matter what color of skin they may have. It doesn't matter, you know, what kind of economic condition they might find themselves in. There are people who need the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we ought to see when we look at people. Is this person saved or is he lost? Does this person know Christ or does this person need to hear the gospel? And that's all we ought to see when we look at people. So when Jesus saw this man, what he saw was a need. And so why should we serve the Lord? Why should we get involved? Why should we do the works of him that has sent us to do his work? Because there are people with needs. Now, Jesus came. Now, I really like this verse in first John, chapter three. I'd like you to go there with me in your Bible. First uh, John, chapter three. Why did Jesus come? You could probably answer that question in a lot of different ways. Why did Jesus come? Well, First John chapter three and verse eight says it like this it says first John three, eight, he that committeth sin is of the devil for the devil sinneth from the beginning. And it says for this purpose, the son of God was manifested. Why did Jesus come? The son of God. It says that he might destroy the works of the devil. Amen. That, I mean, that, that just makes me real happy. When I, when I, when I read here that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, that makes me glad. Why? Because I look around us, whether it's here in the United States, whether it's in Honduras or anywhere else we might be, and I see how sin and the devil are destroying families. They're destroying young people. as destroying marriages, destroying homes. And so when I see that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, that gives me hope that there's someone that can rescue every one of us from sin. And so why should we do the work of him that sent us? Just like he sent Jesus, God has sent us. Why should we do the work? Because there are people that have... A need. There are people that need uh, the, the, the gospel. There are people that need to be rescued spiritually. We need to learn to see the needs of other people. Now, there are a lot of physical needs. If uh, you go to Honduras or if, you're, if you've ever visited a country like Honduras, you can look all around you and see uh, physical material needs. There's poverty. There's a, a lot of children that, that come to our church on Sunday morning in particular, we, uh, we send the, well, I, I drive the bus. I, I, I was going to say we send the bus out. I'm the one that drives the bus and I, we drive around and pick up children. And a lot of these children will come to, to church on Sunday morning. Uh, they, they get out of bed. Uh, their, their mom or whoever they live with doesn't care enough to get them dressed and get them ready for church in the morning. They come and they haven't eaten anything. And so my wife, like I was saying in the morning in the the Spanish ministry, she's probably one of the best people I've ever met at getting children to come to church. Uh, She'll go out early in the morning with about, I don't know how many, maybe about 15 or 20 other people of our church to go out every Sunday morning and knock on doors, wake the children up, get the teenagers out of bed, because teenagers a lot of times sleep more than kids, right? 
And so uh, they, they, she'll tell them, okay, you need to go get dressed, uh, go, uh, you know, wash up and get ready for church. And uh, before you know it, she has this big group of kids that she's taken out to the, to the bus stop where the bus goes by and picks them up. And so some of them don't eat breakfast, and so she'll buy them something at church every Sunday morning. We have people that bring food, especially for the kids, because we know a lot of them don't have the opportunity to eat in the morning. And so there's needs all around us. But the most pressing, the most important, the most urgent need is the need for the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Jesus looked around him, that's exactly what he saw in Matthew chapter 9. If you'll go there with me in your Bible, in Matthew chapter 9, we can see how Jesus saw people in Matthew chapter 9. Now, we, we, we're probably all familiar with a verse 36. Verse 35, really, when it says, Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. It said, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. And so we, we're, we're familiar with these verses, but have you ever thought about the context of these verses, which really begins at the, the, the start of chapter 9? In chapter 9, verse 1, it says, He entered a ship and passed over and came into his own city. And in verse 2, it says, Behold, they brought unto him a man sick of the palsy, lying on his bed. And so there was a person with a need. In verse 9, it says, As Jesus passed forth from, forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew. So Matthew also had a need. He, he, he had already probably heard Jesus preach, had probably trusted in Christ at some point, but he was there struggling, sitting at his table, collecting taxes, wondering, should I continue doing this? I mean, is there really any purpose to this in life? And so Jesus comes by and says, Matthew, follow me. And Matthew leaves his table, gets up, and follows the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 10 it says, he came, It came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. So there's a bunch of people with needs there. In verse 18, it says, he, While he spake these things unto them, behold, there came a certain ruler and worshipped and saying, My daughter is even now dead. But come and lay thy hand upon her and she shall live. And so there is another person with a need. In verse 20, it says, Behold, a woman which was diseased with an issue of blood twelve years came behind him and touched the hem of his garment. And so there is another person with a need. And on and on and on through the whole chapter, what we see is Jesus reaching out to people who have needs. And we come to these familiar verses that we just read. In verse 36, He saw the multitudes, was moved with compassion on them. In verse 37, Then saith He unto His disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that He will send forth laborers into His harvest. So what does Jesus want? When he, what, is he, what is He thinking when He looks upon the multitudes, when He sees the need of the multitudes? He's thinking, we need people to get out into the field, the harvest field, and work and serve and do the work of Him that has sent us while there is still time to do it. Are you with me? And then the very next chapter, the idea continues in chapter 10. It says, And when He had called unto Him His twelve disciples, 
says he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal all manner of sickness and disease and uh, mentions their names and says in verse five, these 12 Jesus, what he did, what with them? He said he sent he sent that he sent them forth. Uh, these 12 Jesus sent forth. So Jesus saw the need and he called his disciples and then he sent them forth into the harvest field. Are you with me? So why should we do the work of God? Why should we get involved? Why should we serve? Why should we give to missions? Why should we send missionaries? Because there are people all around us that have needs. Number two, uh, going back to uh, John chapter 9, John chapter 9 and verse 4, we ought to because, and I've pretty much already mentioned this, but in the same way that God the Father sent God the Son, who is Jesus, we also have been sent. Say, so I must work the works of him that, what, sent me while it is day. We've also been sent. We've also been sent. Uh, I'd like you to, I know, hey, I know I have everybody jumping around the Bible, but that helps us kind of keep awake, you know, that helps us uh, keep our, our attention focused. Let's go to John chapter 20, a little bit further ahead there in John chapter 20. And verse 21, we've also been sent. John chapter 20 and verse 21. And as you probably know, in all of the all four of the Gospels, as well as the book of Acts, the Great Commission is mentioned. Uh, This is the Great Commission here in John chapter 20. And you ask, why is it so different in all five of these instances? And the reason why is simple is because Jesus said it in more than one occasion to his disciples. Uh, He was after he uh, died and rose again. He was with his disciples for 40 days before he rose up to heaven, where he ascended to heaven. And so he repeated it on more than one occasion. And we have uh, at least five of those occasions here in the four Gospels in the book of Acts. And so John chapter 20 and verse 21, the Bible says, then said Jesus to them again. So there it is. He said he said he said he said it to him again. Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, what does it say? Even so send I you. Even so send I you. So why should we serve? Why should we go? Why should we give? Why should we get involved? It's because we've already been sent. We already have a commission. We've already been ordained, so to speak, or uh, ordered by God to go. We've already been sent. Jesus said here, as my father has sent me, even so send I you. Jesus said he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And so we've also been commissioned to seek. And of course, we don't save, but we point people to the one who can save them. That's what we can do. That's our job. And so we've already been sent. Uh, We have been sent. We are, I'm sorry, we are saved by grace through faith. But we've been sent to do good works. We're not saved by good works. But Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, which, you know, we're very familiar with Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, and rightly so. Uh, But often we leave out verse 10 from 
uh, the, 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 the passage. We know verse 8, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But then verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So we've been sent. We've been sent. And when someone sends us, when a person in authority sends us to do something, we are to do it exactly the way we are told to do it. Like, for example, in Honduras, we have what we call pulperias. Does anybody happen to know by any chance what a pulperia is? Does anybody know what a pulperia is? Okay. A pulperia, okay, somebody back there in the sound booth, I see a hand back there. Uh, so, a pulperia, what is that? It's a little, basically a little store that people have in their house. And uh, yeah, there's, there's all these little pulperias all over town. There could be in, in a two or three block span, four, five, six little pulperias. Because what happens? Uh, you know, this guy, he puts in a little pulperia in his house and starts selling soda and chips and just the basic items that you might need on a daily basis, not have to go all the way to the supermarket or to the market, you know, to get. And so they'll start selling something and the neighbors will see, wow, this guy, he's doing real good. His, his pulperia is working. So I'm going to put a pulperia in my house. And so this neighbor starts a pulperia. And before you know it, you've got five or six pulperias within a two or three block radius. And you're thinking, well, how does that work? Well, it works because all of them continue in existence. And uh, so I guess they all draw in enough business to be able to work. And so you have all these little stores, all these little pulperias. And one of the most common things you'll see in Honduras is mom give one of their kids a list to go buy things in the pulperia for dinner or for just whatever she might need at home. She might say, okay, I need a pound of rice, a pound of beans, uh, some flour, some cooking oil, a uh, bar of soap. Uh, you know, I might maybe a pound of tomatoes or something like that. And so she'll send a little Josecito to the pulperia with this list. And so she says, I need a pound of beans, a pound of rice, and some cooking oil. So says Josecito, he goes to the pulperia with his little list. And then Josecito goes to the pulperia. He comes back from the pulperia without rice, without beans, no cooking oil. He's got a big uh, three liter thing of Coca-Cola. Because in Honduras, we, we, don't, we drink a lot of Coca-Cola. Well, I don't personally, but they drink a lot of Coca-Cola. So they two liters, they got to have three liters of Coca-Cola. A bunch of bags of chips and a candy bar. So did, did Josecito obey what he was sent to do? Was he obedient to what he was sent to do? Obviously not. Obviously not. You know what some, you know what some kids do? Uh, Mom will send them to the pulperia to buy uh, you know, certain things. And Josecito, he'll have a few lempiras left over, a little bit of money left over. And so instead of giving the change back to Mom like he should... He'll say, wow, I've got enough. I've got enough to buy me a couple bags of chips. I've got enough to, to get a, a, you know, a can of soda or something. And so Josecito will buy a couple bags of chips at the pulperia and eat them at the pulperia, throw the bags of chips away, come back to the house, give his mom what his mom sent him to buy. Mom will ask, was there any change? And Josecito, very innocent, will say, no, mom, there's no change. But what he won't tell mom is that there's no change because he spent it all at the pulperia. So you're asking me, how do I know these things? 
I'll leave it up to your imagination. So was Josecito completely obedient to what his mom sent him to do? Did he do it how she expected him? No. So when someone sends us, when a person in authority sends us to do something, we do not have the liberty to do it however we want. We have to do it how we were commissioned or how we were ordered to do it, how, in this case, God tells us to do it in His Word. But we've been sent. You know, you've already been sent. You might not have been sent to Honduras. You might not have been sent outside of your hometown. But God has sent you to the people who are around you. God has sent you to your family. He sent you to your co-workers. He sent you to your friends, to the people who you know at school. He sent you out on Saturday uh, to reach people with the gospel. We've all been sent. And so we need to go because we've already been sent. We don't need to wait for a special call or uh, to feel or to, 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 to something that, 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 we're, that is missing. We've already been sent. So why should we go? Why should we get involved in the work of God? Number one, because there are people all around us that have needs. And in particular, spiritual needs. And God has sent us to get the gospel to them so that they can believe and God can begin that work in their lives. Uh, number three, going back to John chapter four, why should we get involved in the Lord's work? Why should we do the work of him that sent us? As Jesus said in, in chapter nine and verse four. Jesus said, the night cometh when no man can work. The night cometh when no man can work. There will be a time when there will be no more opportunities to serve the Lord. There will be no more opportunities. There will be a time when there will be no more Saturdays to go out soul winning. There will be no more services in church. There will be no more Sunday school. There won't be another conference or a camp. There won't be any more discipleships. No more missions trips. No more bus routes. There won't be any more altar calls. There won't be any children to bring to church. There won't be any big days or friend days. There won't be any more work days. There will be no more afternoons to go over the brother so-and-so's house and enjoy fellowship. There will be no more work days, no more building projects, no more new works to open up, radio stations, internet, Christian schools. There will be none of that. Why? Because Jesus said, the night cometh when no man can work. Now is the time of the opportunities. And we need to take advantage of the opportunities while there is time. I remember my uncle. Um, I haven't uh, talked to my uncle in, in a long time. It's been a very long time since I've heard anything from him. He's uh, kind, of, kind of gone off on his own. But I remember when I was younger, my uncle uh, said that uh, at, at, at a point early on in his life when he had, he had gotten out of the army and he was uh, just starting uh, a career in a company uh, down there in Delaware, he had the opportunity to invest... $10,000 in what was then a small and upcoming company. 
And I guess back then, well, $10,000, to me, $10,000 is a lot of money. If there's anybody here that thinks $10,000 is not a lot of money, uh, well, uh, to me, it's a lot of money. Uh, and back then, um, I'm, I'm probably talking about sometime in the 1970s, uh, $10,000 was, I imagine, even more money than it is now. And so he had, he had the opportunity, he could have done it at that point in his life, invest $10,000 in an up-and-coming company. If I remember the story right, I believe that up-and-coming company uh, was Microsoft. <laughs> and <laughs> that $10,000, I don't know what it would be worth right now, but my uncle would have been a millionaire because of that investment. But uh, he, he, uh, he got cold feet and some, some, some friends of his uh, made the investment and he didn't. And I remember as a kid, he was still regretting, he was still regretting having not invested that money at the time when he did. You can imagine why. So I wonder how many of us as Christians, when we get to heaven, and we are even more conscious of all the opportunities that we let go by. We regret having not invested more of our time, more of our resources in the Lord's work while we were here and we had the opportunity. Are you with me? There will be a time when there's no more opportunities. A time when there's no more opportunities. If you would have invested in 1997, $1,800 in an up-and-coming company called Amazon. Has anybody here heard of Amazon? Probably, right? It would have been worth, at the time when I, I got this information, $244,741. How many of you would like to turn $1,800 in uh, almost $250,000. That sounds like a, a good investment to me, right? Amen. That sounds like a good deal to me. I'd do it. But why don't we think that way when it comes to spiritual things? You know, we, 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 don't, we don't think that we're investing our time and our resources in eternity. And that's exactly what we're doing. So why should we serve the Lord? Because there will be a time when there are no more opportunities. And I believe when that, time's, when that time comes, many of us, and I, I definitely have to include myself, we will probably look back and regret missing so many opportunities that presented themselves, just letting them pass by. There's going to be a time when there are no more opportunities. Number four, in John chapter 9 and verse 6. So we, we uh, moving along in this story here. Uh, Jesus said in verse 5, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. In verse 6, he says, when he had thus spoken, how did, now it's very interesting how Jesus healed this blind man. He says he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay, with the clay. And said unto him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. That's how I say it in Spanish anyway. I don't know how you say it in English. He went his way, and it says by interpretation, sent. And so we just got done talking about being sent. I don't think that's a coincidence that the name of the pool means sent. And it says he went and he washed and came seeing. So what I see here, I mean, Jesus obviously could have just spoken the word. He could have just thought it and healed that man. Are we in agreement? He didn't have to 
go through this process that he went through. He, like it says here, he, he spit on the ground and he made clay, anointed the eyes of the blind man, and, and he didn't even heal him right away. He sent him to a pool and said, now when you get there, you're talking about, and listen, you're talking about a blind man. You're telling a blind man, okay, go and get to this pool. That's probably not the easiest thing for a blind man to do. I don't know if he had help getting there or not. But, uh, you know, it probably wasn't the easiest thing for him to do. And so he gets to the pool and when he gets there, he washes. And when he finishes washing the the, the clay that Jesus made by spitting on the ground, it says in verse 9, um, I'm sorry, in verse 7, he came again seeing. So I see here that Jesus uses, God uses common things to do his work. That's what I see here. He uses common, ordinary, everyday things. I mean, what could be more common than dirt? I mean, what is more common than dirt? I mean, that's about, I mean, that's, that's everywhere. And when you, if you want to take it a step further, when God created Adam and Eve, what did he form them from? The dust of the ground. Do you think that Jesus is trying to convey a message to us through this? You know, we are nothing but dust. Our frame is but dust, the Bible says. But Jesus took the dust of the ground and added something to it from himself. And by that was able to heal this blind man. So Jesus uses, he'll take common, ordinary, everyday things, common, ordinary, everyday people like you and I to do his work. What could be more common? Dirt and water. Now, where we live in uh, Cofradia in Honduras, there's a lot of dirt. There's a lot of dirt. Practically all of the roads are dirt roads. In the neighborhood we live, we live in, all the roads are dirt. Every, where the church is, all the roads are dirt roads. And so, you'll see, you'll see car, before you see the car, a car coming, you'll see a cloud of dust just rising up in the air. Now, I don't, I don't, I don't know how people, you know, there's these main roads where the buses go by. I don't know how people live on the, can do their laundry and live on these main roads because you ask, what, 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 what brand dryer do you have in Honduras? It's the sun. That's our dryer, you know. And so everybody there just hangs their clothes out to dry. And so you got all this dust floating around. And you have these big buses driving by. And it's just clouds and clouds of dust. Dust is everywhere. It's on everything. And thankfully where we live, we're, uh, we're not near any main road. And so we get, you know, we, we get saved a little bit from the, 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 the brunt of the dust. But it's still everywhere. It's very common. Say, I don't know what I could offer the Lord. I'm, I don't have very many talents. I don't have very many abilities. I don't have all the experience. I can't preach like Peter. You know, I, I don't have the ability that somebody else... I can't play, the, play an instrument. I can't sing. I can't... I don't feel like I'm the best teacher, the best preacher, the best this or the best that. Let me tell you, God takes common, ordinary, everyday people and uses them for his honor and his glory. That's all any of us are. We're just common, ordinary people. There are no big shots in God's work. They're just a bunch of little shots to keep on shooting. And so that's I mean, that's the way God does things. That's the way God does things. I think it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, if you want to go there with me, uh, when the Apostle Paul uh, tells us exactly this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 
Uh, Paul tells us that God uses the base things of this world. God uses the base things of this world. In verse 26, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. The base things and base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. That no flesh should glory in His presence. And so, when God uses us, it's very clear to us that it's God. It's not us. It's not because we're anything special. It's not because of our ability, our talent, our experience, our knowledge. It's God working through us. We're just instruments in God's hands. And you think, why should I serve God? I don't have anything to offer. Yes, you do. You have way more to offer than you might imagine. Just offer your life, your time, and God will use you. Uh, one last thing here in verse 9, John chapter uh, 7, I'm sorry, John chapter 9 and verse 7. John chapter 9 and verse 7. John chapter 9 and verse 7. It says, John 9, 7, And he said unto him, Go wash, and we, we read here, and says, uh, He went his way, therefore, and washed, and came seeing. So what can, we, what can we get out of this verse here, as far as doing the work of the Lord? Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me. And then he sees this blind man, heals this blind man. The blind man gets up and it says he went away seeing. You know, when we serve God, there's fruit in that. There's fruit in that. You know, we, we, we could year after year, month after month, week after week, we could go out and knock on doors and feel like we're seeing very little fruit. But when we get to heaven, we're going to see all the fruit of everything we've done. I can guarantee you it's worth serving God because there's fruit. If you plant, if you water, then there will be an increase. If you work, there will be results from that work. If you serve, God will use your service for his glory. Look at what it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding, in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You probably know, most of you probably know, I imagine a good part of you perhaps know the story of the missionary Adoniram Judson. He uh, left the United States of America and he uh, was s- seven years before he saw his First, the first person um, on, on, on the mission field saved and baptized. Seven years. I go seven days or seven, if I went seven weeks and didn't see anybody saved in our entire ministry, I'd be like, what, what in the world is going on here? He went seven years. And week after week, month after month. And after so many years of working... 
Many people would have been discouraged. They would have perhaps left the mission field. He wrote to his churches, the churches that supported him, and said, uh, just be patient. In 1814, he arrived on the mission field and seven years later saw one person saved. But the story doesn't end there. By 1870, there were more than 100,000 people that had converted to Christ. Not just by him personally, but by people who had been saved and brought others to the Lord. And so there is fruit in the work of God when we are consistent. When we're persistent, when we stay at it. And that is the key to so much in the Lord's work. Just stay at it. Don't let discouragement get to you. Stay at it. There's fruit in the work of the Lord. I remember we've had in our church in Honduras um, basically three groups of teenagers since we started 15 years ago in Cofradia. Uh, three groups of young people. And we're working with what, what we consider to be the third group. Now, the first group of young people is the, the group that was there the very, the very first few years we were in Cofradia. And so we, we started having youth group. I, I started having youth group once a month, uh, but then I saw the need for it, and we began having it every Saturday. And we still have it every Saturday unless there's some other thing that takes precedent over it. And uh, we had youth group every Saturday. We started taking them to conferences and uh, youth youth camp and things like that. And unfortunately, not one of those teenagers in that very first group is still in church. Not one of them. Now, a lot of people might get discouraged by hearing that. Wow, you know, not, not a single one of them stayed in church. We had several of them, you know, a good number of them saved. They were baptized. They were in church for a while. Then they got to a certain age, and I guess the, the pull of the world just got to them, and they drifted off into the world. And so then we had the second group of teenagers, the second group. Most of them started out as children in our church, in our Sunday school. And with the second group, we've had uh, more fruit. But from the second group, Christian and Herling, they graduated from Bible college and they're now with us full time. And uh, there's a few others that uh, they might be hit and miss uh, on Sundays, but they're still in church. And now we're with the third group. And the third group, I, I believe we've, we've gotten even a little further with them. Uh, they're serving in church. They're uh, Sunday school teachers, bus workers. Uh, several of them are saying they're being called to the ministry. They want to go and, and prepare to serve the Lord full time. And so what I'm getting at is with every group of teenagers we've seen in church, they've gotten a little bit further. They've, they've gotten a little bit closer to the Lord. You could say they've, uh, they, 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 they're serving a little bit uh, more in church. And so it might not be right away. When you plant a seed, you're not going to walk out of your house the very next day and see a big oak tree growing in your yard. Uh, that's just not the way things work. It takes time. And so it's taken time. But the fruit is there. The fruit is there. And so I'm excited to see what the Lord is going to do with this group of young people in particular in our church. Uh, now they have their, their problems, their difficulties. Uh, they struggle sometimes. But I see a lot of potential in them. 
And one thing that I've come to find out, like I said, is that the key is to simply stay at it. Don't give up. Because when you serve God, there's going to be results. There's going to be fruit if you stay at it. This says The Bible says here, Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. What we do for the Lord is never in vain. So why should we serve the Lord? Why should we do it? Why should we get involved in the work of God? There's people all around us that have needs. And God has sent us to be instruments in His hands so that He can meet those needs through us. So we can give them the Gospel. And God can begin that work in their hearts, in their lives. Uh, There will be a time... When there will not be any more opportunities. And we will probably all look back and regret letting certain opportunities pass by. If you think that God can't use you, you don't have anything to offer, think again. God uses common, everyday things. Jesus used dirt and water. And God can use us to reach people for the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we just stay at it, there's going to be fruit. So how I wonder how many of us tonight, how many of us here are saying, you know, I'm really serving the Lord as much as I could be. I'm really involved in God's work as much as he would have me to be. Or maybe there's someone here tonight who would say, you know, I'm coming. I'm here in church, but there's more that I could be doing. I see a need and I want God to use me to help meet those needs that I see. Why don't we all stand to our feet for a word of prayer? Could we all stand? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for what we've seen and heard in your word tonight. And I just pray you would help us, Lord, to not let the opportunities go by. Help us, Father, to take advantage of the opportunities that you give us to serve you. We all know that our time here in this world is short. It's limited. Our life is but a vapor. But we often do not live day to day, conscious of that reality. We let opportunities to witness, opportunities to serve, slip through our fingers. And we ask your forgiveness for that, Lord. We want to serve you with all of our strength, with all of our might, and do everything we can for you while there's still an opportunity. There's someone here tonight, Lord, who feels you tugging at their heart, to to give more of their time, more of their life to you. I pray that they would be able to make that decision, take that step. Perhaps there's someone here who God is speaking to you about a specific ministry or something specific, an area that God specifically wants you to get involved in. Why don't you make the decision to do that tonight? Pastor?